Welcome to the Sharing Life Ministries Sermon of the Week. We hope that you were blessed by this message from Pastor Lawrence Romali. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence here. Holy Spirit, the work that you're going to do here. Father, for what you know has already taken place and is to come. Lord, may we be united together, lifted up in the power of the Holy Spirit that is here, unified one heart with another, the word of God edifying, feeding us, growing us, nurturing us into all that you would have us be. May we then be able to receive, be satisfied, praise you more, and go out into this world and share the light with others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Good morning, church. There is such a presence right now. And praise God for worship leaders that bring us to that presence. And I think it's probably appropriate as we talk today about how to lead someone into salvation. Because that is one of the most amazing experiences you can have because it's God's work. We're going to get into it more, but I I just don't want to miss that place of, I think of it as when I was a little kid and those times that my dad showed me how to do something hammer a nail or screw in a screw or, or something like that. And you felt like you were doing it, but you weren't. Because his hand was on this hand and his other hand was on that hand. Can anybody relate to that? Maybe, maybe your mom might shown you how to use a knife or, or a rolling pin or I, I, don't, I don't know. But as a kid, you feel like, I'm doing it. And yet you're not doing it at all. And so as we feel God's presence, that's exactly where you're at. Exactly how you feel as you're going through that time of leading someone into salvation. It's amazing. You think, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And God's like, sure. Yes, you are. (laughs) And he gives us that privilege. That privilege of doing it with him. We're in week 11 of talking about the gospel. I've broken it down into all these different steps and aspects. Because they're all things that we need to know. We've talked about the sinner's prayer. We can't repent. We can't have faith for someone else. It's not about just reading and reciting a prayer. Talked about sin and what it is. Pastor Jay spoke about love and understanding it from God's definition. Faith. What do we believe about God? It's trust. Faith is trust. Repentance, repentance, three weeks, what it is, what does it look like, and why is it necessary? Pastor Susan shared about intercessory prayer, and we heard all about the ducks. 
crazy ducks. A vital tool, intercessory prayer, a vital tool to bringing loved ones to a saving relationship with Jesus. Talked about heaven and hell. And last week, how to share your faith. And each week, we've had our verse that we focused on. Acts 20, verse 21. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Can we all say that together? I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Underline that in your Bible. Memorize it. We've repeated it over and over again. Now we're going to use it. In fact, between last week and this week, we're using everything that we've learned. So if you've missed something or you really don't have a a, a grasp on something that we covered, you need maybe a better understanding of faith or a better understanding of repentance or something. Go back and listen. Go back and listen. The podcast is like everywhere. It's everywhere. It's even on Facebook now. You can subscribe to the podcast. Today, I'm adding another verse. It's crucial because what do we like to do? We like to think that we're earning our way to heaven. If you remember when we talked about uh, sin, said that I think it was 60% of people are, believe that they are the best person that they know. The best person that they know. So look at me, with, if you will, at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's God's work. We don't earn salvation in any way. We are never good enough. Never. It's a gift. A gift. If I give someone a gift for their birthday, and they in turn say, let let me pay you for that. Well, it's not a gift. It's a gift. It's freely given. It's unearned. It's undeserved. And the idea that a perfect, holy God gives us forgiveness of sin and restores us in relationship with him is so unbelievable that it's a gift that should just overwhelm us. Overwhelm us. Because we in no way deserve it and we in no way could earn it. And when we offer to 
pay for our salvation, to work for our salvation. It would be like somebody giving you a brand new Ferrari and you say, here, let me, let me give you a couple dollars for that. It would be a great insult because it's worth so much more. So much more. As we share our faith, we need to know and how, uh, how to explain what faith is, what sin is. We need to do that to explain to people that they're not really good. And there's, there's a way of doing that in love. And Share your own sin first. Take them through the law. People are excited to tell you how good they are. So ask them, can I give you a test? Can I really see how good you are? And most people say, yes, you can, because I'm a good person. Take them to the law, the Ten Commandments. We broke it, 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 we broke it ten times. You still good? Who are you comparing yourself to when you think that you're good? Well, I'm comparing myself to the worst person I can think of. That's what we do. It's what we do. We need to know how to share that in love. We need to be excited about heaven. We need to be horrified by hell. And when it comes to leading someone to a saving faith in Jesus, we want to share truth. We want the salvation that we share to be real. It's really not that hard. God does the work. What we don't want to do is work against him. We need to understand how God works to draw sinners to himself and then join him in that work. When we do it our way, our way, we end up with false conversions. People who will tell you that they're saved, but there's no evidence of a redeemed life. Their life looks just like it did before. It looks just like the world. There's no fruit. If you're in a conversation with someone like that, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. But their life doesn't reflect that. And we need to be careful here. You need to be careful that you don't expect people to look like you. What salvation? Well, it's faith and repentance and you need to look like me. That's not the case. Don't expect people to look like you. But they do have to show fruit, produce fruit. And there's a difference. Their fruit might not look like your fruit. But learn to recognize fruit. So if you're in a conversation with someone that has or shows no fruit, ask them questions. Ask them for their testimony. Remember the things that we've learned here. Do you hear repentance? Do you hear a testimony of a changed life? A relationship with God? A hunger for his word? 
a desire to serve him, to worship him, to praise him? Ask them questions. How did it happen? If you hear stuff like, I was born a Christian. I grew up in a Christian home. I got baptized. I prayed a prayer at a revival meeting. Well, then it's time to teach. Ask them, how's your walk? How's your walk with God? How's your relationship with him? Is it strong or is it kind of up and down? Oftentimes, people who haven't repented go through this relationship with Jesus that is like this. Ask them, have you repented? And you often hear yes. What does repentance mean? And you'll hear, it means being sorry. It's not what it means. Remember, it means changing your mind, agreeing with God about your sin. Listen, re-listen to the three podcasts on repentance and learn what it is. Because, sadly, it is not very often taught. Ask them, are you sure that you're saved? Because it doesn't sound like it. Or it doesn't sound like you're sure. Don't have an argument, but inquire in love. Last week, I said that leading someone to faith in Jesus comes out of sharing your faith. As we speak to people, they'll often share their struggles, their hurts, their disappointments, their fears. My marriage is falling apart, or I can't conquer this addiction. I might lose my job, my home. My kids are a mess. I found a lump, and I'm scared. I know... How I'm living is not pleasing to God. You'll hear things like this. Their sin has become overwhelming to them. Their consequences in life have shown them that they're far from God. Our first response when we encounter someone like that is to do what? To comfort them. To make them feel better. But God is allowing or bringing that emotion, that conviction, to draw that person to himself. When we, we want to make people feel better. They're crying about their sin. They're broken up about their sin. We want to comfort them. But God is allowing or bringing that emotion or that conviction to draw that person to himself. When we take away the conviction, when we tell them that they're okay, we get in the way of what God's doing. God brought the conviction. God will take it away. Think about that. God brings the conviction. Let God take it away. In Luke... Chapter 18. 
Beginning in verse 10, we read this. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humbled themselves will be exalted. In this parable, parable, Jesus is showing this Pharisee, this religious man, who came proud. I'm better than that guy, and considered himself good with God. But the tax collector, he was under the conviction of God. He came into the synagogue or into the temple broken. That was God working in his life. Broken. And God uses our brokenness to bring us to salvation. Notice, Jesus didn't say, it's okay, tax collector. Jesus loves you. Let the conviction do its work. That tax collector, he felt guilty. Guilt's not the problem. Conviction isn't the problem. Sin is the problem. In this parable, the one was self-righteous and proud. The other, humble and broken. They were both sin, sinners. Both sinners. The problem is that only one knew it. When I see someone all broken up about their sin, I often wonder about their salvation. Either they don't understand it, or they haven't received it. The true believer knows that they're to confess and repent, receive correction and restoration. Sin should not be their passion. Instead, the true believer should hunger and thirst for righteousness. They may be and should be disappointed in themselves for their sin. But they also know that they're not rejected by Jesus because of it. Jesus is working in their lives to draw them along and bring them deeper and deeper and deeper. This is part of the walk we have with Jesus. He continually makes us more and more like him. He takes us to places where it's like, okay, we're going to work on our finances. And then we're going to work on our driving. We're going to work on our giving. And continually. And then we're going to work on our driving, number two. It's like, oh, there's two classes in that? Yeah, there's two classes in that. I had to add one for New Jersey boys. Speed. 
speed and hand signals. You'll have to explain the hand signals. I, I don't do that. <laughs> so the believer, we should feel conviction over our sin. But sin shouldn't be our lifestyle. But for the unbeliever, it's different. They've not experienced God's grace. Deep in their heart, they know they're separated from God. They know they're God's enemies. Why tell them that they're not? You deceive them. You're lying to them. God works in the unbeliever to show them that their behavior is a problem. He wants it to change. He wants them to live their life according to his ways or there will, be, there will be judgment and eternal consequences. They're building up wrath before him. There will be judgment, and deep down, the unbeliever knows it. Remember when I taught that repentance was the bookends of around faith. Repentance shows us our sin problem so that we can receive forgiveness, put our faith in Jesus, and then repentance sanctifies us. It makes us holy and Christ-like. When we take away the conviction, we work against God. They don't leave their sin. They put their faith in Jesus, but then don't grow. When we say it's okay, Jesus loves you, you're forgiven. You're canceling, canceling out the voice of conviction that they hear and are alarmed by. We're telling them it's okay. Proverbs chapter 24, verses 24 and 25 says this, Whoever says to the guilty, you are innocent, will be cursed by peoples and denounced by nations. But it will go well with those who convict the guilty, and rich blessing will come on them. Conviction is there for a reason. Don't be so quick to dismiss it. When we see someone doing something in this world, we're like, why doesn't someone stop them? Why don't the police do something about that? Why don't those parents correct their children? We see vandalism and say, where were the parents? Well, when we tell the guilty that they're innocent, we're working against God. And think about it. What would you think about a dentist who filled your cavity without cleaning out the decay? What would you think about a doctor who simply put a Band-Aid on your infected wound? If your physical body needs to be cleansed, how much more your spirit? Think about that. If your physical body needs to be cleansed, how much more your spirit? And let me tell you this. You need to be prepared for this. When you are carrying the presence of Jesus and walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, people will sense it in you. I'm not talking about a critical judgmental spirit. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. I noticed it most when I was doing street evangelism in Newark, New Jersey. 
before I even began to share with someone, people would put out their cigarettes, they would hide their alcohol, they would apologize for their language. I didn't, hadn't even started to talk to them about anything. They sensed it. People will feel conviction just by your presence. And they will either be drawn to it or they'll pull away from it. And perhaps, and perhaps they'll be drawn to it and then run away from it and be drawn to it and run away from it. Because they're unsure of what they want. You don't have to say anything because you feel the presence of God. People will feel convicted of their sin. Don't try to remove the conviction just because you want to be liked. That is God at work. Be encouraged by it. Don't take away, but explain it. Explain it without being judgmental. Without making yourself better than them. When churches begin to speak about sin and call people to live godly lives, oftentimes people leave because they don't want to hear that stuff. Can you relate? I can. Yes. Right? You want to run from God. You want to run from the people of God. You want to hide. Of course... When we're living apart from God, we don't want to hear these things. We want to sin. We want to told that we are good. We're good with God. We want the feeling of guilt taken away. We can reassure them. We want to do that. But we have to do that without taking the guilt away. We do that by saying, I have the answer to what's going on in you right now. Let me tell you what it is. Often we want to be liked by people more than we want to be used by God. We want to see our churches full, and so we compromise. Instead, we need to teach. Explain that God's way is better than our sin. But know this, your godly lifestyle is not going to make anybody leave their sin. Only the conviction of the Spirit of God will do that. So when you see someone in conviction, get excited. God is at work. He brings a conviction. He will take it away when the person repents and turns from their sin. Oswald Chambers said this, Conviction of sin is one of the rarest things that ever strikes a man. It is the threshold of an understanding of God. Jesus Christ said that when the Holy Spirit came, he would convict of sin. And when the Holy Spirit rouses the conscience and brings him into the presence of God, it is not his relationship with men that bothers him, but his relationship with God. conviction now let me say that as I'm teaching all this let me say this that God can use anything anything 
I've had to learn some of these things the hard way. I've had opportunities to share with people that I would love to have a second chance at. And just because God can use everything doesn't mean that we shouldn't be prepared. We have a responsibility. I want to give you a couple of examples of encounters that I've had from my own life. The first, and it was the first time I shared my faith, a good friend of mine, um, my late wife Shelly and I, we heard that he was going through uh, a separation in his marriage. And so it was a Friday and, and we prayed that God would, I didn't even know where he was. I hadn't seen him for years. God, we prayed to God that we would get an opportunity to share with him. And the next day I got home from work and, and Shelly met at the back door and she's like, your friend's coming. He just called. He's going to be here in a couple minutes. And as I was like, what? He pulled in the driveway. Yay, God. Yay, God. And so I went and I sat and I talked with him. He talked about what was going on and why his marriage was a mess. And it was a mess because he had a pornography addiction. And he sat there crying. And I shared how God had restored my marriage and brought me to faith in him and told him, if you pray this prayer... God will fix your marriage. And he did. We didn't deal with the pornography. We didn't deal with the sin. He prayed a prayer, thought he was saved, went back into life, and guess what? His wife divorced him. And years later, as I learned some of these things, I went back and got together with him, and I, I told him, hey, what I shared with you was inaccurate. You need to repent of your sin. And he was offended. And he was deeper in his sin then than he was before. He was offended. No, I'm saved. And it took a couple of conversations and a lot of years to be able to gain trust back and talk to him and show him I blew it. I blew it. There was another person. His name's Greg. He was dating a young lady that my that Shelley was coaching and fencing. And God brought him to mind, and I invited him to go to Promise Keepers Conference. I had never met Greg. And so I invited him like two months before and never heard anything. And the week before the conference, Greg got back to me. He said, hey, I got your message like, from two months ago. And he says, yeah, I'll, I'll go. And so we went to this conference, and we're sitting in the front row of the stadium, and the first night at Promise Keepers, Friday night, they would do an altar call. And the speaker's talking about sin and being convicted of sin. And I'm looking at this guy who I just met, and he's weeping. 
And he says, if you're ready to repent of your sin and lay it at the cross, come forward now. And we were up, uh, we were in a baseball stadium and we were what would be the front row if they were playing a game and there was this railing and about a six foot drop. And Greg jumped over the railing and ran to the front. And we were all like, wow. He came back several hours later, soaking wet. And we sat up all night talking about it. And they later got married, and they shared how both Shelley and myself sharing our faith made this huge difference in, our, in, in their lives and how they're walking in that today. And then there was a young lady named Kelly. Kelly was the second person I ever shared faith with. Back before there were cell phones, <laughs> we were coming back from dropping my son off at a summer camp, and we were supposed to meet another couple for dinner. And so we stopped at a pay phone to call and tell them we're on our way. And when we got to the payphone, there was a young lady standing at the phone crying. And Shelley looked and said, Oh, I guess I know why we're at this payphone. And I was like, Why? And she goes, There's a girl sitting there, standing there crying. And oblivious me said, Well, we can go to another payphone. <laughs> and she's like, No. And she got out and talked to her for a little while. And brought her back to the car. And this young lady, she had, she had just moved out of her parents' home and in with her boyfriend. And her father told her, if you move in with your boyfriend, don't ever come back home again. And she was upset because she would just gotten off the phone and found out that he was at a friend's house and he was using heroin and... So she asked if we would drive her home, and we did. And in my heart, I'm hearing, share with her, share with her, share with her. And I didn't know what to say. And so I'm like, um, you know, um, uh, uh, Kelly, um, like, do do you know who God is? And she said, you mean Jesus? I'm like, yeah, him. She says, yeah, I grew up in a Christian home and used to go to vacation Bible school and go away to Bible camp. And she said, I think I need to get right with Jesus. And I said, yeah, I think you do. And we prayed with her and she went. And it was this very lame encounter on my part but God was working. Yes. Yes. And that evening, her boyfriend came home, injected her with heroin, and she died. When I get to heaven, I hope and pray that I see Kelly there. 
because I wasn't prepared for the person that God brought into my life. I hope she's there. I was scared. I was unprepared. But God had been working. She did it. She knew what to say more than I knew what to say. And just recently, and that, that experience with this young lady, Kelly, that experience motivated me to go learn how to share my faith. It motivated me to do that. Because God was saying to me, Larry, I want to bring people into your life that you get to tell about me. Not have to tell about me. You get to tell about me. And just recently, Pastor Susan and I have had opportunities to minister with people that we saw were broken and weeping, undone by their sin. And we had an opportunity to join God in what he was doing. We didn't take away the conviction. But as we shared the good news, as we shared what faith in Jesus will do, God took away the conviction as they put their faith in him. God does the work. So in each situation that you come into, you see people convicted, let the conviction sit there. Explain why it's there. You feel guilty because you are guilty. You broke God's law. But this is what Jesus did so that you could be forgiven. He came to earth, lived as a man, just like you and me, but perfectly and without sin. He suffered and died on the cross, and took your punishment, and paid for your sin. Forgiveness is a free gift of God, through which he will restore your relationship with the Father. And I will ask someone, do you want to do that? If they say no, I'll ask if we can talk again. Or I'll give them my contact info. Or I'll give them something to read. If they say yes, I'll tell the person, you can do that on your own, or we can do that together. Here's what you need to do to be saved. First, confess your sin. You know what you did. You know what's nagging at you. What you feel convicted about. Confess it. Say it out loud. I don't care. I'm not here to judge you. Confess it. Second, repent. Change your mind about your sin. Agree with God that your sin is indeed sinful. Third, ask Jesus to forgive you. Receive his gift of forgiveness. Receive the gift of eternal life.
Four, surrender. Surrender to him as Lord. I give up. I give you my life. I give you my will. Whatever you ask, I will do. I tell the person I'm talking to that they can go home and do that. They can do it by themselves. We can do it together. More often than not, as I said, people choose to do it with me. When that happens, I encourage them to pray from their heart. I don't tell them what to say, but I will help them if necessary. Usually, it's not. Usually, it's not. When they finish, I explain that as a result of being forgiven of all their sin, who do you now need to forgive? It's the perfect time to do this. Oftentimes, after we've been saved for 10 or 20 years, we forgot how much forgiveness we received, and we can be less eager to hand forgiveness out. But I teach the importance of forgiveness right from the start. Quite honestly, I believe that forgiveness is the first fruit of salvation. The first fruit. I have been forgiven much. I want to forgive. Sixth, then I pray over the person, asking Holy Spirit to fill them, protect them, give them spiritual gifts. Lastly, I offer to buy them a Bible, encourage them to get into a good Bible teaching church and get baptized. They don't have to come to your church. They can. Sometimes it's not practical or it's not best. Last, I, I try to stay in touch. Stay in touch. You just had a pivotal moment in their life. A moment they'll never forget. Stay in touch. There are different levels of discipleship. But at a minimum, I want to be sure that this baby Christian is being fed. And we will talk later, another day, about discipleship and what it looks like and how to do it. So this really isn't so hard. It really isn't so hard. You see conviction, lead in repentance, confession, teach about faith. Let them pray and ask God. Explain. Explain. Maybe because of their background, they think that they have to read a prayer. You're just talking to God like you're talking to me. Just talk to God. The key for us is to join Holy Spirit in his work. Conviction is a great work of God calling the unsaved to repentance. And while we don't want to work against it, we also don't want to manufacture it either. Have we seen that? I think most of us have. Someone who's very charismatic and dramatic and gets everyone stirred up that even the saved aren't sure that they're saved. 
And people are crying and weeping and running to the front. We don't want to manufacture it. God does. God's word and his spirit does all the heavy work. He brings conviction. It's God that draws sinful men and women to himself. We just have to, or better, we get to come alongside to encourage, to guide, to teach, to proclaim. John 6, says this, No one can come to me, this is Jesus, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. Amen. That word, draws them. We kind of think of that as like saying, hey, come, on, come over here. But it's actually a word that's used that, um, for pulling fish into a boat in a net. None of those fish go into the boat willingly. They're all struggling to get out and to get free. And that's us. God was drawing us and we're like, no! God draws us. He gets a hold of us. He gets a hold of us and he's pulling us to himself. He's saying, come into the boat. But I'll die if I'm not in the water. Perfect. Perfect. Because God wants us to die to our sinful self that we can live in him. This is not a burden. Sharing your faith, leading someone to Christ is not a burden that's thrust upon us. It's a great burden privilege and oftentimes God gives us a privilege like this and we carry it like a burden oh there's this person at work and they've been trying and they're really going through a mess and like I'm gonna I guess I I have to share my faith with them no God's doing something and God says Larry here let me use this hand and this hand and I'm going to stick my hand up your back and move your lips and my words are going to come out of your mouth. <laughs> That's not a burden. That's exciting. Life is much better when God's speaking his words out of my mouth than when Larry's speaking his words out of his mouth. But God, I'll feel like a dummy. Perfect. He will give us the words to say. It's a privilege. It's God's work. And trust me, if you've led someone to Christ, there's nothing like it. It never gets old. Nothing is more exciting. And you will be rewarded for it in heaven. In heaven. Think about that. Can't take anything with you but souls. Can't take anything with you but souls. Yeah.
And how exciting, how exciting will it be to meet the people that we've led to Christ and have a reunion with them? How exciting. And how badly I want to see Kelly there. Because God used her to provoke me to learn how to share him. And I really can't imagine that he would have wasted her effort. She knew. There was this little piece of faith and she had pulled away and she had a deep wound from her father saying, don't ever come home again. Deep, deep wound. But she knew, I need to get right with Jesus. Let moments like that motivate you to be prepared. And practice. Practice. Practice on someone else. Go to a friend and say, hey, I'm going to try and share with this person at work tomorrow or at school or wherever, my neighbor. Can I practice on you? Practice on a stuffed animal. Practice on your dog. Dogs like, they'll sit there, they'll look at you. (laughs) In the mirror. Yes. It is our assignment from God, just as it was Jesus' assignment. Luke 19, verse 10 says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Seek and save the lost. To know God and to make him known. That's our privilege. It's our privilege. When you are willing, Holy Spirit will bring people to you. He will put them in your path. Be prepared. Be prepared. And there will be in heaven a great reward. Who doesn't want a reward? We all want a reward. There will be a great reward. Reward. Get prepared. Be excited. It's a privilege. And think about this. What if no one bothered to be prepared to share with you? Wow. Where would you be? Floundering in your sin. So someone did this for me. I want to do this for whoever God brings into my path. Joyfully. Excited. God chose to use me. God chose me to give, um, give me this opportunity. He chose me. He chose me to be the one that he puts his arms around and works and moves through and talks through. It's this moment. Special moment with God. You'll never forget it. They'll never forget it. And the best thing is Jesus doesn't forget it either.
So get ready. We see all around us all kinds of evil, all kinds of people that are floundering, all kinds of people that they're not for God, they're not against God, they could really care less. And we have opportunities to share. Hey, this is who I was. This is who I am. Let me love you in this situation where you need something. Oh, you're such a good person. Well, actually, I'm not. But God put you on my heart. God sent me over with a meal. God sent me to shovel your sidewalk. Whatever it is, get in tune. God says, go do it. It's not a burden. It's a great opportunity. A great, great opportunity. Let's pray. Father God, you don't need to use us at all to bring people to yourself. But you choose to. Because you are a good and perfect father, you want to teach your sons and your daughters how to be about the family business. And that's expanding your kingdom, your rule and reign in this world. So Lord, let us get passionate and intentional about seeking those who are lost. Let us learn how to do it. Teach us. Lord, when we are so focused on our own ways that we don't see what you're doing around us, bring conviction. And Lord, as Pastor Susan said, souls, souls, other people, that's all we can bring with us to heaven. So Lord, let each one of us take a whole bunch. Lord, your kingdom's all about stewardship, what you do with what you've been given. And so, Lord, when you give us opportunities to serve you, to share who you are, when you give us those opportunities, let us be faithful. Let us produce much fruit for your glory, for your kingdom. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. I just feel led to invite everyone to come to the altar. There are many ducks up here. Those are the, they represent the souls that we're believing. But if you know, if you've heard that gospel message this morning for the first time and it's your soul, that's standing in, in doubt. It's your soul that's, that's being waged war with the enemy, and you're not yet in that place with Jesus Christ that you want to be. Pastor Larry's going to be right here, that you can pray with him and talk with him about that. But the rest of you, I'd like you to come. If you, if you know of someone that needs Jesus, that needs to walk into the kingdom of heaven, I want you to write their name on the bottom of a duck and place it with the rest. But like everybody else to come up, and we're just going to Put our hands, well, actually, just stay in your seat and put your hands toward the ducks. And we're just going to pray for the lost. There's someone, your, your mother, your brother, your sister, your coworker, 
your spouse. There are people in our lives, our grandchildren, that you know need Jesus Christ. And I just put your hands this way. And Lord, we just lift these to you today. Father, we believe that it is your heart and it is your desire to save those who are lost. And we trust that you are drawing them to yourself. And Lord, if there's any here this morning in the sound of my voice, Lord, that need you, I pray that they would rise up and go and speak with Pastor Larry this morning, that they would receive prayer, that they would uh, have their eyes open to truth, God. I remember as Pastor Larry talked, I lived that roller coaster for 20 years. I'd asked Jesus in, but I didn't understand any of it. And I had never truly repented. I was pressing into my sin. And boy, once I understood and repented, the smooth came. That ground with God where he's leading and strengthening came for me. And there's a peace and there's a hope and there's a trust that comes with that. And Father, those that we're believing for, we want them to have that place of hope and peace and trust. Those sitting here today that are in doubt, they don't know whether their, their end will bring heaven or hell. We want them to come into that place of, of having no doubt, no doubt that I know that I know that I know that Jesus has a home for me in heaven with him. And God, I just, I just open that up today to you. As Jen just puts the music on, if there's anyone here that needs to talk to Pastor, don't be embarrassed. Just come and get it. Come and get it. Come and get the revelation. Come and get the understanding. Come and get the salvation that Jesus has for you. And if you've got ducks up here at the altar, souls that you know need Jesus, I just ask you to come on up and spend some time. Tarry for just a moment for those that you're believing. Cry out for just a moment. We'll get out of here soon enough. But cry out for just a moment for those that you know you want to see in heaven with you one day. Thank you for listening. Sharing Life Ministries is located at the Life Center, 48 West 2nd Avenue, Ridgely, West Virginia. Or follow us on Facebook.